Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team successfully, and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress and dread, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders who know how to lead so everyone wins and grows. In this show, you learn how to think, communicate, and act as the confident and competent leader you know you can be. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. This is episode 200, which I'm very excited about. I remember vividly recording episode 100 with several of my clients who were all new managers and who were talking about their transition, moving into their first leadership role. So if you haven't listened to that, by the way, check out episode 100. But today we're here to record episode 200, which my very special guest, my partner, Sean Stewart, is here with us today. And the amount of times that we sit with a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and chat about leadership and leadership experience would be mind-boggling to most people. And there are so many gold nuggets that I pick up through our conversations because it's so much easier to reflect on things with another person um, than to do this on my own. And so, you know, that's what Sean is for me. And I hope to bring some of that into this conversation today. I'm going to, you know, bombard him with some questions and um, see if it's going to come out. What I can tell you up front, he is very well-respected leader in the engineering space. And I've witnessed him through conversations and I've seen his uh, I'm going to call this followership or the people that he's mentored and coached and led over the course of the last 20, 30 years, <laughs> right? How, what an impact he had on their career, on their life and then personally. And Sean is also someone who th- sees things some, somewhat controversially or, or applies a lot of critical thinking into um, his own leadership style and, you know, him as a hum- human being overall. So that will come through here in a minute To Sean, thank you so much for being here and doing this with me. Ramona, it's a true pleasure to be here on number 200. I feel, I feel really honored and I'm happy to have this conversation. Bring on the questions. Okay. So I'm going to dive in with one that I remember when you first said this to me and I, I think my jaw probably dropped visibly or not visibly, but I felt that way because I thought it was such a bold move. You said... Oh yeah, I shared my entire performance review unedited with my entire team. Tell mm. us about that and why do you do that? Yeah, I, I actually, th- this, this is not a new thing for me. I had a, another leader, Frederick Lee, who I, a lot of folks call Flea, who's the, the CISO at Reddit right now. I worked with him at, at Gusto and I've known him for for quite a bit of time, he always did this. And I followed Flea's lead by bringing my own version of this to my own team. And what I've learned is that my perspective is that I'm in the service of my team. And I go through a lot of conversations about their own personal performance, but really the performance that really matters to their ability to achieve any of the goals that they're setting forward or the goals I'm setting forward for them 
is, is my own performance. And it's really important that my team understands how their servant leader is, is, is doing within their own realm of responsibilities and to be able to like bring that forward for each of their teammates. So that's the reason I do it. It's to keep the conversations honest, authentic, actionable, and directly align with the type of outcomes that we want to have. I love how you tie this back to servant leadership, but it's a, a pretty bold move because you're really being vulnerable to your team saying, I got flaws, I got things I'm not doing well. And here's what that looks like. How does your team respond to this? What do you see happens or changes when they get your performance review? Yeah, the, the beauty here is that you have to make this decision the moment you start the job, right? Day one. And if you know that your intention is to share your performance unedited with your teammates, I think you're going to perform with that responsibility in mind day in, day out. And it becomes a way better conversation with your teammates when you're expecting them to do the same thing. So what I found from my team and the result of, of me doing this is a more transparent and honest work environment for myself and the folks that I work with daily. Another extension of this that I really believe in is shared goals for all of my teammates. We live in a competitive world as is, and this may not be a popular opinion, but I, I, I really, I've been on teams before where, you know, maybe there's a lead engineering role opening up and everyone wants the role and then we become really competitive, but the, the competition brings out a lot of the, the least admirable parts of ourselves because it's secret. What I like to do is really have conversations with my, my teammates and be really clear around who I think is in the best position to be able to, you know, get to this role or not. Of course, you know, being respectful to labor laws and the rights of every individual to, you know, apply for a role if they, they so choose. But the goal is if we can align as a team around what growth looks like for each individual, right? We're all trying to grow in different ways. And sometimes a, a promotion to a particular role doesn't actually offer us the, the, the growth that we're looking for. And if we can share that within the team, I think what we find is what I found in my experiences, a lot of collaboration for every single person on that team to be successful. That's one of those things that I've found that works really, really well, just by simply being open, transparent about all the things that we want. Mm -hmm. And I quickly call something out here that I talk a lot about on the podcast, which is that for the leaders that stand out and generate a lot of trust from their team are those who have very clear principles or um, behaviors that they know are part of the way that they lead. So I call those the leadership principles or some might call or refer to this as a leadership philosophy. And they are clear about it. They communicate it. Like you said, you've got to know about this day one. 
never too late to start, but your success or your likelihood of being successful with this will increase if you are clear about it, you can communicate it, you tell people what they can expect, and then you live up to that expectation. That creates that sense of consistency, reliability, and predictability that you demonstrate as a leader that makes it so much easier for everyone around to rally around this and get on board because they know what they can expect and how to succeed in your in your environment. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I, I would add something else to it, which is that we all, through that conversation, we, we really get to the point quickly that we all need to do work to get there. And if we can get the support from our teammates to help us accomplish this, it becomes more real. But, but there, there are no, you know, misgivings around the fact that any of this is entitled to anyone or predetermined. We all have to work at it collectively as a group in order to make this happen. And in my experience, I've, I've a, a lot of folks that have worked with me can attest to this. But when these goals are achieved and accomplished, you have this really great celebration from everybody within the team because it really feels like it was a team win to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because everyone saw the saw the goal and then they worked to achieve it. Yeah, they participated. They helped out. Yeah. They contributed a little bit towards that person's accomplishment. Right. The other thing that I want to quickly get back into is when you talked about the team seeing or creating this transparent approach to work when you share the performance review. One thing that I see you do really well, and I'd love if you can explain more or describe your approach to this, is setting really high standards with your team, but also doing this with a very caring approach. And that is something that a lot of leaders and new managers struggle with is how do I demand or ask for or set that high expectation. I wanted to generate this high performance on my team. They're likely performance driven. They know that the pressure comes from their senior leaders too. But at the same time, they also see that the team needs a lot of care and compassion. And they may really buy into this too. They want to have this compassion leadership style. How do you find that, strike that right balance? Yeah, I've, I've had, I think it's from my own personal experience. I've had leaders that I reported into that pressed on my, my, my shortcomings or my gaps. And that was the focal point of our conversations. And then I had other leaders that really celebrated and really put a positive light on all of the, the great things that I was doing and use that as an anchor to kind of pull me and the rest of those other, you know, areas of, of focus, you know, forward. And I personally have gotten a lot better results working with the leaders who really focused on the positives over the ones that, you know, were a bit more critical and called out the shortcomings. And so I, you know, I take that forward with my own uh, teams and I found and large, uh, that most people respond well to, you know, progressive encouragement. They want to know what's working well, uh, and use that as the cornerstone of building, building out the other complementary skills that they might be lacking or falling a little bit behind on. 
to, to round themselves out. So I've personally gotten great results from it in my own growth. And, you know, I, ju I just effectively just share my experience with, with other folks. The other thing that's really critical here is in order for any of this to work, the, the goal that we're trying to achieve has to be real. I have to be able to deliver on this. And so a huge part of it, regardless of whether I'm focused more critically on the areas that we need to develop, or if I'm praising all of the great things and I'm hoping to, you know, to continue to wrap us forward through, through that, I have to be able to deliver on exactly what I've promised. And so there's a lot of work in it for me as well. My strategy around, you know, helping folks grow has to ultimately lead to me being able to deliver the thing that I promised. So I think for a leader, majority of the work is really on us to create the framework, the milestones, manage every bit of it, just as much as our, our, our team members who are, who are trying to achieve these goals. So I get the sense that you're on one hand strength focused but also that you see how when you instill that sense of encouragement and confidence in others, you really see them rise to the occasion. And am I right to also read into this that when then something doesn't go well, mm -hmm. like someone isn't meeting the expectations, your approach would be to go in and say, here is what I know you can do and here's what needs to be done in order for you to achieve your goals. Absolutely. I, in my personal life, I have trackers all over me, I've got an O-ring and an Apple Watch. I really believe in setting the right metrics and the right processes to pull that data in real time. And so part of the conversation is not just establishing the goal, but it's also establishing the metrics that would allow us to identify whether we're making progress towards that goal. And so this is very clear for not just myself, but the folks that I manage. And so when we have the conversation, it's really about looking at the data and talking through. I've found sometimes, a lot of times actually, that a lot of management that my teammates need in order to accomplish their goals is really about whether I'm able to help them unlock the motivation and the aspiration on a day-to-day -day basis to, to, to get there. And sometimes it's managing the, the detractors, the things that are maybe, you know, the things we didn't plan for that pop up at work or things that are going on with each individual uh, at home. But no matter what, the goal has to accommodate all of these things, good and bad, and we have to be able to manage through it. And so it's really an honest conversation about looking at the metrics, getting more contextual data about what's, you know, affecting the outcomes that we're looking at, and then making the adjustments, both from a manager's perspective and the individual who's, who's, who's trying to achieve this goal. So that's the combination of either the goals, the metrics, and then also your day-to-day -day interactions to check what is, what are the detractors that would prevent them from being motivated to achieve those goals and live up to the metrics. Yeah, absolutely. I've had managers in, in, in my past, in my experience, who've asked me how well I'm doing, but I never felt as if they were connecting that back to 
day-to-day work or using that as an opportunity to really manage my, my work. Because how we show up at work is, is extremely important, being able to manage your entire self so okay. that you're productive really important. And I think a manager plays a huge role in that. And it goes both ways, right? Of noticing, oh, someone may not be feeling well, and then how is that influencing work? Or work is not not going well. What may be going on with the person? That's exactly right. Right. And then again, that transparency there that you're trying to build through the trust. Yeah, a lot lot of trust is required, yeah, in order to make this work. Right. Let's take a bit of a more abstract, go, go to a more abstract level. When we look at, and you've coached and led and supported and championed many managers or high-performing ICs who wanted to become managers, and you support them through this transition, through your own leadership. When you look at the patterns that you're observing, what are some of the things that you see other managers do well that help them move into leadership really well? And quickly gain the respect from other people and sort of establish themselves as leaders? And what are things that make this transition a really bumpy road? I think I learned a lot of this. I've never met this person personally, but you know, I've read a lot of their books, but Bill Campbell exemplifies a lot of this. You don't have to know the, the domain that you're, the person you're managing is an expert in, in order to properly coach them. What's really important is that you have a great trust relationship with this individual where you can really understand the entire journey of what they've been putting into their professional career, having an honest conversation around where we feel we fall short, and then aligning that with the opportunities ahead of us. The having great people relationships, I think is, is absolutely critical for any manager. And so that's something that I definitely, you know, really spend a lot of time analyzing and having conversations with future leaders about not just managing their direct reports, but managing up and across, really understanding where these leaders fit within a larger team how they're able to identify very quickly and support their teammates. Some leaders are really kind of paint by numbers leaders, right? They've got great frameworks and they follow the processes really well, but there's, they lack that, that deep connection with the team that they're, that they're working with. You really have to believe in my opinion, you really have to believe that your your futures are linked and tied between yourself and your team. I had an experience with an IC who once came to me, really great technical IC. They had moved up the ranks very quickly, got promoted into a lead engineer, and it was really natural for them to ask, hey, what would it take for me to be a manager? And what I saw from this individual was the way they, they, they went about becoming a lead engineer, building really great product, being very technically strong. They were almost thinking that, you know, it was, it was about achieving some performance metric or goal. When in fact, their team would be the one now, the, 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 the choice would actually 
live with their team, not with themselves. It's not something that they could directly do to, to, to get to this place. So, you know, when I, when I said, let's call this person, Tom, when I said, Hey, Tom, what does your team think? Do you, do you think your team sees you as the leader? If you became a manager right now, do you, do you believe that your team would celebrate that promotion as a win for themselves? Or would they see this as just simply a promotion for yourself? Because in order to become a really good manager, your team has to really believe that, that this individual who's leading me is in the best position possible to make me very successful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of folks don't, don't really, you know, understand. Yeah, and genuinely cares about their success and is able to translate that into the day-to-day work and the feedback and the conversations and all of that. I have this other really great story of an individual who wanted to become a software engineer, but they were a you know quality assurance engineer. It wasn't seen as as cool and as glamorous as being a full software engineer. And they came to me and they, they wanted to know, well, how do I become a software engineer? They were an intern actually. And I said, well, I don't have any software engineering roles for you right now, but we could get you started as a QA engineer. And I think what we could do with this opportunity is the only opportunity I have. But I think that if you really leaned into being a quality assurance engineer and looked at all of the code that your fellow engineers were submitting, you could use this as a true opportunity to become the very best engineer that you could possibly be. And then it won't matter if we have a role or not. And this, this individual trusted me and they trusted the plan that I put for, for them. I also, you know, it wasn't just an empty promise. I also told them that if they chose to do this, I would also commit myself to finding that opportunity to make sure that they would have it at Mm -hmm. the end of the term that we, we agreed upon. And to this day, that, that individual is one of the very best engineers that ever worked with. They really learned through that opportunity of being a QA engineer. They saw bad code. They saw great code. They use that as an opportunity to really propel themselves. Right now, they're they're a very strong engineer. They're a really great company. So the, if I translate this to how it impacts all of us as we think about our own careers, that sometimes <clears throat> we may not have the ability to yet get promoted or to land that next role. But the mindset really then is, how can I, with what I have or the level of influence that I have, how can I put myself in the best possible position so that the promotion will ultimately be inevitable because I'm, in essence, already doing the job that I'm aiming for now in my current role? Yeah, but uh, 100%. But it's really hard for an IC to do this on their own. We need really great managers, regardless of what level uh, mm-hmm. of management, right? We need really great managers. We need to build really great relationships. I think my, I've learned the hard way that the best relationship I can have is with my own manager. I have to be someone who really supports this person's success and be very honest and direct about what I want. And we have 
you know, shared goals together. The, the, the outcome of my boss directly affects me. So I want to make sure that my boss is as successful as possible and be really clear that I want them to be successful, right? And I want them to help me become successful as well. And then I continue, you know, to create that type of environment for my team. And what I found is really, really great work environments I've been able to operate in as a result of this type of framework and environments where folks don't feel blindsided or feel surprised and just a lot of like collaboration, support, shared success. And even when things don't work as well as we would like, uh, a lot of folks there to like step in and, and help you out. Now you emphasize relationships quite a bit here, not only once you're in a leadership role and how important that is then, but also how important it is to start building that if you are thinking about becoming a leader, because your leadership will depend on your relationships with your fellow peers and across the org, then you also emphasize the importance of the relationship that you have with your boss. Yeah. Are there certain things that, or like we, like, like we say, it takes a long time to build trust, to do nurture relationships, but they can be broken within seconds. Yeah. What are some of the things that you almost call like pitfalls or unaware mistakes that new managers specifically or leaders make that will compromise the relationships that they have in place? And I'm referring specifically to some of that office politics or the things that happen behind the scenes that many of us have to learn and many of us, well, most of us have to learn. <laughs> and some of us learn it the hard way because we step into one of those pitfalls and then realize, well, that backfired badly. Yeah. Steve Jobs had this really great quote where he said, you, you can't fake being cool. And I'd like to extend that a bit and say, you can't fake being honest. Mm -hmm. uh, I think being trustworthy is kind of feels like a feeling, right? It's not just the veracity of your claims and the things that you say or, you know, being you know, aligning your actions with your words. Sometimes it's about making people feel comfortable. And in order to make people feel comfortable, I think you have to lead with an honest assessment that you're able to share with other folks about who you are and where you think you are. And really being open to feedback, like solicit that feedback in a way that is truly meaningful. I like to, for example, go to my, my teammates and tell them about my goals. I really want to get to this place. And I think what's getting in the way of me getting there or, you know, maybe items one, two, and three, I would love to get your own assessment of me, right? As your leader, right? And this is why the performance, you know, sharing my performance review is so critical to all of, all of these conversations because the performance review is kind of the end of a long conversation that started at the very beginning about who I am, what I want, right? And one-on-ones end up becoming a two-way conversation where I'm talking to my teammates about how I can help them and how I also need them to help me and how we're helping each other. There's no framework to just simply ask the questions and not have your heart in it. You have to really believe that 
you're on a worthy, purposeful path and that the people that you're working with are part of that. And the goal is in order for you to achieve what you're looking for, you have to be able to help someone else achieve their, their objectives and their goal as well, whether that's your, your boss or someone that, that reports into you. Now, I'm going to hone in on the question of what are some of the mistakes that you see people make that break relationships? Can you share a couple of examples that you've seen? Mm, yeah, I think I see that when uh, folks don't have a good relationship with their shortfalls or their inadequacies. If you're afraid of your own professional gaps and it's something you don't want to share or you don't want revealed, you might not be in a position to have the type of conversations I'm talking about. Mm. Or you might feel defensive about anybody else bringing up. Imagine, a, imagine you're in this very trust, you know, high trust group and everyone's really leaning in to helping everyone out. And you have a few folks that are not putting in as much. They might feel a bit triggered or defensive mm -hmm. if someone calls out for the benefit of the entire group, a gap that, that needs to be filled, uh, they might take it personally. And so I've, I've seen that as an example. I, I don't think it hurts the entire team. I think the team, I've worked with a few individuals like this. It ends up becoming very apparent early that uh, someone has not bought into, you know, working within the group and the, the results vary in terms of what happens after that. To add to that, I think there's also something about not owning our own shortcomings or becoming defensive that means sometimes you have to overcompensate because we feel like we don't want anyone to see it. And those kind of, that, that sense of, oh, I got to overcompensate or I got to pretend or keep up this facade then makes us overreact uh, or take actions that are a little bit too too aggressive almost, where a conversation behind closed doors with the person involved or a an honest sharing with the team would resolve a lot of the issues at hand, but then we feel that need to go and be aggressive or to escalate quickly and to involve, including CCing on emails, right, in whatever degree involving a bunch of people in order to really make our case versus just pausing for a moment and letting things settle down and then acknowledging, yeah, what can we resolve here without this big escalation uh, or yeah, reaction to it? Totally. I, here, here's a controversial statement, potentially. I think I've been on my best behavior uh, for you, Ramona. <laughs> <laughs> High trust groups simply move faster. And if you're in a group that feels slow, that tends to be a signal that you don't have high trust. It, mm -hmm. I, it's, I think it's based on my experience. It's really that simple. The teams that raise their hands and say, well, yeah, I think I, I screwed up or yeah, I really don't know how to do that thing. I'd love to learn, but I don't know how to do it. Move way faster. And the teams that really embrace this, they, they move very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. There's also no way less drama and conflict, right? That would slow things oh, yeah. up. Yeah, all absolutely. That. Right. All the CCing and what have you is a, is a lot of overhead to manage right. and deal, right? And it tends to be kind of an indication that 
yeah, there's not a lot of trust trust here. Before we wrap up, one final question. If you were to you put yourself sort of in that mentor role or mentorship position where you have someone who's new to leadership in the first couple of years, what uh, would be a piece of advice that you want to share? Ooh, oh, that's a great question. As you asked the question, I started thinking about a few folks that I've, I've mentored or led who are now sitting in leadership positions. I think that New leaders should really embrace the idea that their purpose is to really find a greater purpose for the, for the folks that they work with. And so really, really understanding your people, getting to know them very, very intimately is really important. I had a boss, for example, I told this boss that I was going to Columbia for my birthday. And when I got back, my boss asked me, well, how was Brazil? Doesn't make you feel good, right? So mm -hmm. I think the, your number one job is to really dial in to each of your people, get to know them, really feel like they're a critical part of your own personal success. And if you do that, I think you're, I think you're going to do really well. Make performance reviews about you know, really assessing this person, not in terms of a compensation or punitive, you know, allocation of whatever your, your, your organization is deploying during that time of year, but really looking, looking at it as a way of helping this person identify where they're, they're, they're best and how they can become better and grow over time. If you can, if you can use performance uh, management tools and have those conversations early and often you're going to get, you know, really, really great results out of, out of your people. And ultimately leaders get paid last. We, we eat the, the last slice of the pizza, but if we do a really good job, we get a pretty, pretty big slice. Pretty big pizza. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing all this. And, you know, I think through the conversation, it's, it's obvious how much you care for the team and what your perspective is on leadership and what it means to be a leader. I think a lot of that reframing from moving for that mindset of how do I succeed as an IC versus how do I succeed and what does it really mean to be a leader is the shift that so, so many of all of us in leadership roles have to go through. And sometimes that's easy. Some, sometimes it's hard and it's a process and for in a process that can take years to go. So thank you so much for sharing your perspective. And I hope that created some food for thought for other people as they're reflecting on their own leadership philosophy and how they see their people and their role as a leader. Thank you for being on the Minute to Track podcast. Yeah, thank you, Romana. It was a, it was a true pleasure talking to you. If you enjoyed this episode, then check out two other awesome resources to help you become a leader people love to work with. This includes my best-selling book, The Confident Incompetent New Manager, which you can find on Amazon or at RamonaShaw.com slash book and a free training on how to successfully lead as a new manager. You can check it out at RamonaShaw.com slash masterclass. These resources and a couple more you'll find in the show notes down below.